Uh, if you don't know who I am, I see a couple new faces out here today. Uh, my name is AJ. I have the absolute honor and privilege of serving here at the church on staff, and it is a roller coaster ride. Man, ministry is awesome uh, thing to do. Um, but I just want to come today and bring um, a word that I believe that God has put on my heart. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to kind of lighten things up here a little bit and share with you a couple real bulletin announcements. Hey, don't start laughing yet. It's not funny. All right, here's some real bulletin announcements that were either printed or spoken. Just wanted to share them with you. First one, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. And don't forget your husbands. Oh, yikes. That was a real announcement, by the way. Uh, the second one, a bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music to follow. Yikes. <laughs> don't start pointing at each other now. Next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Uh, this is a very interesting one. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Have children? Okay. I, some of you might get that on the way home. It's okay. It's okay. Um, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Yikes. I hope we're doing better than that. Last one. At the evening service tonight, the topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> I'm sure after that, we need to pray. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for this table uh, that you've prepared before us. We thank you that we can call you friend. And God, I just pray that today my words would be your words. They wouldn't be my opinion, but it would be truly something that you have for us today in this season. God, just speak through uh, what I'm going to say and bring clarity in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It just magically showed up there. Thank you. All right, so as you can see, um, the title of the message today is Crushed with a question mark. Let's take a poll. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you feel like you are crushing life right now? Like you got it all together. Things are great and good. You don't have to raise your hands. Just answer the question internally. How many of you feel eh, kind of neutral? Not really on top of the world, but I'm not really at a low season. How many of you came in today? You're like, man, I'm just crushed. I'm just empty. I'm wounded, I'm hurt. If you feel that way today, this message is for you. If you don't feel that way, this message is also for you. Because chances are we know someone that's going through a season right now where they're crushed. So the word crushed, by definition, can be defined as deformed, pulverized, or forced inwards by compression, feeling overwhelmingly disappointed or embarrassed. 
It gets better, trust me, okay? This is starting out kind of rocky, but it's going to get better. <laughs> so let's look at our picture. Anybody feeling like these cans? Like empty, smashed, dented, maybe bruised, beat up, mistreated, going through hard times? You know, Ann came up here last week and said, people, we are in hard times. And it's okay to call your season what it is right now. Maybe you're feeling alone or isolated, pressed or put down. Maybe you have this attitude like nobody knows what I'm going through. Like I said, this word is for you today, and I want it to be a word of encouragement. This is not to be meant as a word of shame. It's not to be meant as a word of, to be put down, but to encourage us all. So I have five things very specifically off the bat that we're going to use today to encourage us. And we're going to say these out loud together. So number one, the first thing we're going to say is God sees me. Ready? Let's say it together. God sees me. Okay? So that's our first encouragement. No matter what season of life you're in, no matter what you're going through, God sees you. God sees me. And here's our first scripture of the day. I forgot to mention, this is going to be a like eating from a buffet of scriptures today. We're going to be all over the Psalms. Uh, we're going to throw in some New Testament. There's going to be a lot of scripture here. So the first Psalm we're going to put up on the screen, uh, go ahead and mark Psalm 34, 18. It says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's our word, crushed. This psalm contains a promise for us that the Lord is close to us even when we are brokenhearted, when we are in that crushed season. No matter what our situation is, he is close and he saves just like that psalm says. All right, number two encouragement. We're going to go through these pretty quick. God knows everything about my situation. Let's say that out loud. God knows everything about my situation. That was kind of weak. Let's do it again. God knows everything about my situation. Okay? We know this. God is omnipotent. He knows everything about everyone, everything that's going on around us. And in our situation, God knows. Second verse, we're going to read together Psalm 139.1. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God knows everything about us. Sometimes our life can get very, very complicated, and we can have layers of issues and problems. But here's another promise that God knows us. He hasn't forgotten about us. Number one thing, remember, he sees us. Number two, he knows us. God knows everything about your situation, what is hidden, what is seen. And even when no one else knows, he knows. All right, third encouragement. This one's a mouthful. I'll try to say it for us together. God is working on and working in my situation. Ready? Let's say that together. God is working on and working in my situation. You might say, but I don't see it. I can't see it in front of me. I can't see God working in front of me. There's a lot we don't see, right? Because we're trying to see things in the natural, but there's a whole other realm of things that we 
can't see, and that's in the supernatural. We sing a song that says, even when I don't see it, yeah, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You're working. Let's say that one again. God is working on and working in my situation. Go ahead. God is working on and working in my situation. All right, fourth thing. God is always greater. Let's say that one together. God is always greater. It's really easy to say. It's easy to, for me to stand up here and say that. Oh, God is greater than any situation you're going through. But let's look at the scripture that we have for this one. Psalm 145, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Our minds are finite. We can only comprehend so much in our physical beings. But God's greatness is so far beyond what we can comprehend. And he's greater than any situation that you have that you're going through. Just want to give a little insight information for you here. Um, we're going to release a new song in September, at the beginning of September, another original PF song, and it was based on that scripture. Um, so just a little nugget for you. So back to the, the encouragement point. I just ask, ask myself questions like, how much faith do we actually have? How big do we think our God really is? When we wake up in the morning, are we more focused on our problems? Are we focused on this God that's greater than our problems? Our God is greater than anything we are facing. Number five, encouragement. God will use my current situation for his glory and purposes. Let's say that together. God will use my current situation for his glory and his purposes. One more time for this side. God will use my current situation for his glory and his purposes. Do we believe that? God is going to use no matter what we are facing, no matter what we're going through, for a greater calling, for a greater purpose. In Genesis, you recall the, the story of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers did awful things to him. They sold him into slavery. And then towards the end of the story, if you recall, his brothers came back to Joseph, and he was in a much higher position. He was in a much higher calling. And in verse 18, go ahead, Mark, put that up there. Joseph's brothers sold him off into slavery. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. And they said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? See, Joseph knew his identity. He knew his calling. He knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing at that moment. So in verse 20, he says to them, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. So God took that bad situation and brought some good out of it. And even the saving of many lives. 
So there was a much higher purpose. There was a higher calling on Joseph's life. And he used that, that bad situation and turned it into good. And 21, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your family and children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Even after Joseph was put in that crushed situation and he came out of it, he had compassion on his brothers. He treated them with mercy and grace. It was, it was all for the good of the kingdom. So let's say that one again. God will use my current situation for his future glory and purposes. All right. So let's recap here. That was a lot of information in just a little bit of time. So the first encouragement was God sees me. Absolutely, 100%. Number two, God knows everything about my situation. Number three, God is working on and working in my situation. Number four, God is always greater. That's such an awesome one. And five, God will use my current situation for his glory and purposes. Amen. So we all know we're very familiar with another man in the Bible that knew all about crushing. And his name was Jesus. Not only did he take on the form of a man, but he also took on a crushing and a beating that was so great that he was beyond recognition. So let's go back to our definition of crushed. It was deformed, pulverized, forced inwards, feeling overwhelmingly disappointed or embarrassed. In Isaiah 53, 5, we read a scripture that says, But he, meaning Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is a pretty popular verse with the end of it, right? The reconciliation part. But we have to remember the crushing that Jesus went through, the bruising, the beating that he took on for us. He took on the weight of the sin of the whole world. And he laid down his life so that we could be reconciled with him. If you remember before the crucifixion, Jesus went to the garden to pray. What was the name of that garden? Gethsemane, good. When Jesus went to the garden to pray, he, he prayed and he asked the Father if there was any other way. See, he knew the crushing that was about to take place. He already knew the plan that God had rolled out before the time of man, before the time of all eternity. Jesus knew the plan. He knew that he would have to go to the cross to be brutally beaten and crucified. But he still prayed right before the crushing part and said, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. So we read that in Luke 22, starting at verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Even though he knew what he was about to step into, he still 
was reconciled enough with the Father to know that it's not about me. This is about you and your plan because you know the plan to save the world. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So I looked up that word earnestly. The definition of that is with sincere and intense conviction or very seriously. So Jesus prayed very seriously, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So you all told me, the Garden of Gethsemane, but do we know what the word Gethsemane means? All right, good. This is excellent. The word Gethsemane actually means the place of the olive press. See, last week Eric told us, if we come in here and we don't learn anything, we're just preaching, we're saying a bunch of words, and it's a word salad. We have to be learning things. Amen? So that's, the word, well, that's what the word Gethsemane means, the place of the olive press. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? All right, so let's look at our new slide. We have a, now a picture of, what do you think that is? Go ahead and shout it out. Olive oil, awesome. So living in the Northeast, we're very familiar with trees that bear fruit. We're very familiar with plants that bear fruit. A lot of them have seeds, right, that start growing into a plant, grow into a tree, and that produces more fruit and more seeds and so on and so on. This is a concept we're very familiar with. What we might not be familiar with is the harvesting process of olives. Do we have any olive farmers in here today? Yes, good. So I can say whatever I want and nobody will know the difference. All right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to teach a little bit about the process of olive harvesting and then relay that to what we just talked about, this whole crushing mentality. So stay with me. Okay, not done yet. The thing about olives is you can't just go to an olive tree and pick the olive and eat it. You can eat olives in the form that they're in, the small fruit, you know, in the, in the back of the picture there that we see. We know we can eat olives, but there's a process that takes place before you can eat them. Like living around here, we just go to an apple tree, we pick an apple, we eat the apple. You go to an orange tree, you pick an orange, you can eat an orange like immediately. Olives don't work that way. The process for harvesting is much different. You can eat olives in their natural form, but they must be brined or cured for several weeks. Now, I know we got some good cooks in here. Anybody know what brining is? Yeah, brining takes time, right? It's a process. So olives have to be brined or cured for several weeks, maybe even months, depending on the type of olive that it is or what it's going to be used for. So here's, I'm going to make a very profound statement, okay? Olive oil comes from olives. Whoa, boom. That was mind-blowing, wasn't it? <laughs> but God created some fruits. They were raised to be crushed. 
Okay, I want to say that again. God created some fruits to be raised in order to be crushed. Is this settling in for anyone today? Are we ringing any spiritual bells? Starting to follow this. Good. I don't want to go too fast. So I said that very profound statement that olive oil comes from olives. But the only way to get the oil from the olives is to crush it. There's a crushing process that has to take place in order to get what's inside out. There's no heat. There's no chemicals. There's no alteration process to the fruit during that process. It has to be crushed in order to get that oil. Prior to the invention of electricity and machinery that is commonly used today, millstones were used to do this crushing process. So we have with us today handy-dandy millstone. You've probably seen these all over the place around here for decorations and gardens. But I just wanted to bring this one here today. Uh, it came from one of my friends just down the road. Just to kind of see, this would have been like a first century type millstone that would have been used in a mill that would have been used to crush olives in the first part of the process. Very heavy. Some of the stones were used, um, they were wandered around by donkeys. It wasn't just a human that was pushing the stone. But this was the process. The olives were dumped into a basin, and a stone similar to this one would crush the olives to begin that oil process. So once the olives are crushed, they make what's called olive pulp. The olive pulp is then collected out of the basin where the olives have been crushed, and the olive pulp is put into baskets. Then the baskets are stacked one on top of the other into what's called a pressing process. So we have a crushing and we have a pressing in order to get oil. Is this making sense? Good. So traditionally, to press olives, to press that olive pulp that's in the baskets, there's three presses. The first press to get the first oil, that oil went directly to the temple. That was taken in for the anointing of priests and kings. The first oil was the cleanest oil, and that oil went to the temple. The second oil, the second press, that oil went to humans for cooking, for making perfume, medicine, etc. The third press of the oil, that was considered the dirty press. That oil was more uh, for like oil of lamps. Like you read in the, the Old Testament about the, the oil and the lamps. That was the third press of the oil. So first press went to the temple. That was for God. You've heard the analogy about first fruits. We give the first 10% of our income to God. The first oil pressing went to the temple. Second one went to humans. Third one was used in, in, in lamps. 
So let's go back now to the Garden of Gethsemane, which we learned was what? Olive press. Good job, Carl. You're paying attention. I like it. <laughs> Olive press. How many times did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I mean, these, are, these little examples are all over Scripture, but I think it's so awesome when you can pull out a little nugget like that. You, that just proves that God knows what he's doing. It's awesome. It's very cool. Three presses of the olive's oil and three times in the garden uh, when Jesus prayed. So what does this mean? <laughs> You're probably coming in here like, all right, this guy told us a bunch of bad stuff, and then he encouraged us, and now he's talking about stones and olives, and, and what are we doing? I believe that as humans, it's very easy for us to walk up to one another and say, hey, Maria, how you doing? And Maria says, oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. But what's really happening? What's really going on inside of us? Does this resonate with anyone in here today? Or am I so totally far off base, I didn't hear what I was supposed to hear? Does the word make sense? Like I said, this wasn't so, supposed to be condemning or shameful. This is supposed to be encouraging and uplifting. It's supposed to be a message of hope and encouragement. I believe that God has something that he wants to do in you that he couldn't do in the previous season. Some of the fruit that was growing in the last season was raised to be crushed. Why? I don't have those answers, but I know one that does. The kingdom of God principles are something that we cannot wrap our mind around. We can't fathom why things happen the way they do sometimes in the kingdom, but he knows. He knows why fruits are raised to be crushed. He created them that way. And he knows exactly what he's doing. As humans, we need to come to places of weakness, brokenness, and feeling inadequate. And that might sound very like a woe is me attitude. But I want to encourage you that it's not ours to understand. Ours is to trust. It's not about our plans. This is not about our agenda. This is about the kingdom of God. If you don't feel inadequate, you're disqualified. Humility is framed from feeling inadequate because we know it's his strength our weakness, that's what makes this equation work. When you say, I am not enough, then he becomes more real. He becomes bigger than your problem, bigger than your crushed situation that you're going through. I would be very, very cautious of anyone that is proclaiming that they are enough. In other words, that's a pretty good sign of a counterfeit if they're operating on their own strength and not relying on his strength. 
Denny talked about some of the questions and confusion that the world has a couple weeks ago. The questions that the world has right now can't be answered with a degree. I'm not against education. I'm not against pieces of paper or degrees. I'm just saying the questions that the world has right now can't be answered with science. They can't be answered with a degree. They need divine intervention. What we need is God-given direction. We need God-breathed words. We need more encounters with Jesus. And we need more crushing. Because he chooses fragile, broken, limited people so that we won't be confused where the oil came from. It's him coming out of us. He's the creator. He's the glory giver. He's the master. Worship team, you can come back up here. Um, we're going to sing that song again that we sang at the end of the worship set. The song is called Communion. No matter what place you find yourself in today, the crushed place, the neutral place, the crushing life place, the next step that we should all have today is a step to come forward to this table and just have that communion with God. He created this table for us. He created this place of intimacy for us. There's a part of the song that says, this is where I'm meant to be. Me and you, and you and me. I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. As a broken and crushed as I might be, this is where I'm meant to be. So let's just stand. We're going to worship together. Um, we're going to serve communion at the front today. So Doug and Tina, come on up. I just want you to come to the table as you feel led today. No one's forcing you to do this. This is a choice you're going to make. You can receive your elements. You can go to the altar. You can go back to your seat. We're not going to do a whole scene with this. We're just going to worship. And as you feel led to, just come forward and, and take the elements today. This is a very holy thing. It's a very serious thing to remember the crushing that Christ went through so that we can be reconciled with him.